Warning, Supernatural The Crossroads contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. of Supernatural The Crossroads post-series 2022. This is your premier Supernatural fan show. Hopefully you guys have been listening for quite some time. If you haven't, and this is the first time you're stopping by, we are excited to say hello and also warn you now. It'll it'll probably get graphic at some point. Oh, very That's graphic. just a Ryan thing that happens. We can't control it. Then we all feed into it. No, and then, we, then I get a whole month of it. And you can, oh, guys, that going to be an annual thing. Yeah, it has to be. Actually, we're approaching the year <laughs> yeah. anniversary of oh, the month of Ryan. Are. I want to say it was in, in June. The summer, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I'm going to have to come up with some more programming. I'll yeah. start some thinking about quality that. quality graphic. The good stuff. The stuff that you guys really listen for, you guys don't listen for us to break down stuff. You listen to, to Thomas, you know, read fan fiction, mm-hmm. slash fiction, mm-hmm. you know, come in my fist or some shit that he said. <laughs> I don't remember what it was, but, you know, I think we have a drop somewhere. Um yeah, that's what you guys want to listen. One producer, please. Yeah. But now I'm under pressure. Yeah. yeah. I was hoping you'd have that spun up. I know you were hoping for that. I was. I just, you know, like it's probably my favorite drop. <laughs> but that's yeah, the we kind are of quality content that's the good, it's the clean. Not this episode here in which yeah, we discuss is, the nuanced look at the much. episodes directed by Star Jensen Eccles, but instead. It's the sex stuff that they've come for. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, if you guys are into that, either way, please check us out on iTunes and leave us a come review. On, baby. Don't come listen to me. that part. Come There's nothing me. to hear there. Stop all out of that. Fist. God damn it. God damn it. <laughs> Never live that. I'll be 87 years old and someone will play. Don't that. worry. I'm going to find some dirtier shit for you this year. Month of Ryan is coming up. So that Fuck means duck, dude. that means I'm sure we're going to be reading some filth. Yeah. Oh, absolute nastiness. Some disgusting slash fiction that we that will no doubt give me and Thomas nightmares again. Do you use well, an incognito mode when you look up those stories? Or do you have like just the weirdest no, ads? Like that guy. So do you get ads for like Bad Dragon and shit? Afterwards? No, I don't get I honestly don't get ads for any of that mm. stuff, dude. It's it's just slash fiction. You just go into a Reddit. It's not a big deal. That stuff's on the internet. You know, it's it's if it's there. <laughs> There's a lot of things on the internet that probably like, shouldn't be there. That's, that's not, not an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> if you can think it, it's on the internet. Jesus Christ. All right. Besides rule 34 over here. Uh, if you guys head on over to iTunes, that is our preferred platform and leave us a review. We would greatly appreciate it. Hopefully we're a five-star show show in your eyes. But I think from this intro, that is certainly not the case, but you guys were definitely a six. It's now. a six oh, for sure. <laughs> oh man. But today we are again talking about the second installment in a little series discussion we have started about the di- episodes directed by star Jensen Ackles. And this has been a bit more technical and in-depth. Uh, one of the more technical and in-depth concepts we've done for this show for some time. There's a lot of plot lore, narrative world building things that we get into pretty regularly, but this is more of an actual look at technique skills 
and watching him develop as a director and really trying to figure out his definitive directing style. And our end game is to sort through the six episodes that he has directed and look for what kind of recognizable techniques that could be identified as hallmarks of his style, something that you can look at and say, when he directs an episode, whether it's a movie or a TV show in the future, this is what we can kind of come to expect. Yeah, and it's not always easy to to find those definitive directing styles in a TV show. No. Because when it comes to TV, the people who call the shots for the most part are the writers as well as the cinematographer, and the directors are not used at the same capacity as a feature film director. So it's a little bit harder to get away with, with flexing your creative style. It can happen and it does. And that's pretty much the reason why we started doing these shows. Cause we wanted to, we wanted to not just say Jensen's a good director because the episodes he directs are good, but I want to find out what makes it good besides simply the writing. Because arguably, you can say the writing is why it's good. Well, what's he doing? Yeah, but there's always making those scenes pop, making that 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 script come to life. There's always a nuance, I think, too. Like with a director, like I I think I was struggling to try to like figure out what I what I wanted to say because I'm not as technical as you guys, so I I have a hard time kind of thinking outside that box. That that I'm a casual, not a casual viewer, but someone who sits down and watches the episode and just enjoys the episode for what it is. And, and I had to look at this episode a little bit deeper and kind of sit there and analyze a little bit more than I normally would. Um, you know, almost like how we do when we do like a a movie review, I had to sit Mm -hmm. down and look at this episode and go, what do I see different from the last episode that we just watched? Or what do I see different from an episode that's just randomly on? Right. And it was interesting that when I did that, I was able to actually come up with a couple things. And one of them is, is so quick, but it's so cool that I was like, Oh, I don't think they ever have done that before. Or maybe just, I don't remember it happening, but it, I'll talk about it later. But I, I definitely had to sit down and look at it a different way. There is definitely a lot of little things in this. I feel like he has like these, mm-hmm. he throws these little things in that most directors would just maybe either do, or maybe even overuse. Right. And I feel like he just kind of throws it in there real quick. Sparingly. Yeah. And then everyone's like, like for me, I was like, oh, mm-hmm. that's really cool. And I think, um, I think that's the, 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 the kind of you get with Jensen or some of the guests the, the people that are on the show directing is maybe they can throw a little bit of that in there and get away with it because they're not going to nitpick a, a 10 second scene right. or whatever it is. So I feel like, um, with, with him, you know, and we are, have already done Weekend at Bobby's, which I think we all love that episode, right? Yeah, um, all the way around. Yeah, yeah. just we, I think we all just absolutely love that episode. So it's interesting to see that little nuance. And I actually think it's really cool that, you know, he did as many episodes as he did. So we have a little bit of stuff to cover. Um, but yeah, I, I, I definitely had to sit down and look at it differently than what I normally do. I'm glad you did. I wasn't sure because sometimes you don't, I, you know, it's, you it's don't do the homework, but to hear that you actually <laughs> sat down and, and took a look. Gold so star I, for Ryan. I think this is the first time for, I have first a time hard, for everything. I have a very hard time. So like my ADHD kicks in for shit like this. So I have a hard time sitting down 
and almost, and I don't want to use the word overanalyze, but I, I just have a hard time sitting down with a TV show and doing this. Mm-hmm. I think I have no problem doing it with a movie. I think, well, I think that comes from what Mike said, you know, with a movie, they make all the decisions. Everything right. is right. under that umbrella yep. from them and, and comes from that source in the TV show world, especially with a There's show a like formula. Supernatural. Yeah. It's, it's very different. Like they have, I mean, we've talked to Guy Normanby when he right. directed in season 10. There's not as much there that they have control over. One of the main things, one of the, the more obvious things is the way that they block out a scene and have the two actors or the multiple actors right. move through the space, create intimacy, intimacy, create tension or how they deliver their lines. I mean, recently I'd say the probably the best example we had of that is the Gordon and Dean discussion yeah. in the barn or that, that wrecked house was amazing so from season two season two yeah. with the lighting and everything mm-hmm. <sighs> and that's something where the director can really shine in those kind of moments right. but the they are slaves to the overarching story and the overall style of the showrunners of the season they're a part of yeah, yeah. it's there's already an established style when a director comes on that set yeah yeah and there can be other film conventions utilized within the director's wheelhouse, such as some of the settings or some of the lighting decisions, props, various camera angles, if the cinematographer is willing to play ball. Yeah, yeah, of course. (laughs) And some of these things will be under them, but a lot of the time that can fall on other members of the production team. So for us, this being only his second directed episode, it still might be a little bit difficult, but I think there's a couple key things we can see start to bubble to the surface or start to become a little bit of a repeating pattern now, which will eventually out of the six episodes probably go on to be part of his signature style or his artistic flair that he will bring to it. I think one thing it's not to me, it's not very good in this episode. One thing that he then grows to be far better at later by the final installment of the episodes he's directed, but I'll save that for when we get really into it. So just so we're clear, this is not exactly a review of this episode. Eventually, we'll get around to doing a proper we'll there review of Season 7, Episode 3, The Girl Next Door. But this is more from a stylistic choice, directing choice, filmmaking standpoint. So we've gone through Weekend at Bobby's. The next one on the table is the one we're discussing today, The Girl Next Door, of the six that he had. After that was Heartache, then Soul Survivor, the Bad Seed, and Season 15, Episode 4, Atomic Monsters. And none of those episodes are bad episodes. No. no. Really not. No. Yeah. They're all strong episodes, even outside of directing. Yeah, I think we all, I don't think we gave any of these a bad. Atomic Monsters is amazing. One of the best ones of Season 15. Yeah. 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 And so, again, this is going to be a discussion about the stylistic and directing choices of Season 7, Episode 3, The Girl Next Door which was the second episode he directed. And now this one was written by Andrew Dabb and Daniel Laughlin. A interesting duo, the more that we've talked about them, the longer we've been doing this show. <laughs> so let's take a look at this entire episode and see what exactly it is saying. And then from that, we can maybe determine whether or not, based on specific elements, choice scenes, specific blocking and, and direction, if Jensen was able to effectively bring the meaning of this script to the surface and really deliver on what it was trying to say through his imagery, through his style and all the different decisions he made. 
a Thomas. Now, I did not tell you this before, mm. but if you want the definitions of the different meanings. It's at the bottom. Yeah, right? Okay, you saw it. Okay, yeah. and the reason why I know you know them, but if you want to remind the audience when we get to them, that's where they are. Yeah. Because I'm sure their audience that are aware to that of now. reverential. Yeah, why not? So let's just get to the definitions we're talking about. So the levels of meaning when it comes to directing a script or telling a story, there's referential meaning, which is the summary of a film's plot. The things that happen, do they actually have Sam talk to Dean and the gun goes off at the right time and then they go and kill the monster? Like the basic things, A, then B, then C. Right. The most simplistic meaning. It's what most people, journalist reviews do. When you go to your Rotten Tomatoes or you go to the blog. Right. That's yeah, pretty this much is a story about blah, 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 and how the Avengers finally team up to defeat Thanos by, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Then after that, we have explicit meaning. This is the level at one where one would find the film's message. It's it's moral point, the lesson in some way that it is trying to teach. Um, you know, what's what's a good example, really? Jaws. The lesson is don't get in the water. Well, the, the, pretty pretty simple. <laughs> don't get eaten. Don't, get, don't, don't get, die. Don't get eaten. Swimming's bad. Be swimming, smarter swimming than a fish. The, yeah, swimming in the ocean's bad. There's sharks. It's pretty pretty special. That sounds like the fear tactics <laughs> my mother used growing up. <laughs> no, by like the way, good, you're in the ocean. The ocean has sharks. Therefore, you will die. A good example is like Godzilla wow. and the power of man's use of atomic weapons and how it will corrupt nature and Jurassic nature coming Park. back. Yeah, science gone wrong, uh, playing God, these mm -hmm. kind of concepts. Then you have implicit meaning. And this is more abstract or below the surface, and it affords a little bit more room for disagreement, competing claims. I think if you're a fan of Critique Revolve, mm -hmm. the more recent review of The Power of the Dog mm -hmm. has a lot of implicit meaning discussion. Yeah. As to what exactly is actually being said. Yeah, like in at this the movie. end of uh, Inception, was the top spinning? Was it not spinning? Did it stop? Did it not stop? Who knows? Not. You know, it cuts out at the end. You never know. Yeah. Or your favorite porn. Did she actually orgasm she or was yeah, it real? Did she come or not come? I you mean, know? Uh, technically, you could assign implicit meaning to my life as well when I have sex. Yeah. Like, did it actually did he, satisfy did he the Did he actually have sex or did he not well, have sex? Well, okay. Yeah. We can go that route too. <laughs> am I really a virgin or am I not? <laughs> And then, <laughs> yeah, that's and then bad. we have symptomatic meaning. And this is a kind of incorporation of all the other three levels. It's a film story as well as what it's trying to say. It's about the ideology of the movie. Uh, what it has to say about social values at the time that it's made, truthfully. Mm -hmm. And for the purpose of this discussion, this is typically what we're going to be talking about when we speak to meaning or intent. So there's, there's what happens, the message below the surface, what it's really trying to hammer home, narratively speaking, and really what is all of this about and, and what is this piece of art trying to say beyond just good versus evil or something to that effect. Which Supernatural is, is filled with symptomatic meaning. In fact, that's for the most part, if we had to pinpoint one specific area out of these four definitions that we typically utilize when we do this show, we probably do a combination of the three, which would mean we do symptomatic meaning. That's per pretty much how we break down our shows during the run of Supernatural. Right. 
And so with this one, we're going to be talking a little bit. We have to look a little bit back towards the previous one. Weekend at Bobby's had a pretty clear intent, and we discussed it thoroughly. It was his first foray into directing, and it really was all about <laughs> Bobby's role in this show for himself, for the boys, why he does what he does, what it means about hard work, what it means about doing the right thing despite the cost, family, the implications of that between Crowley's family and Bobby and the Winchesters. It, it's all fairly simple to understand. And this episode is a little bit harder to really break down and decipher what exactly Jensen's contribution was and what is placed in the episode for the purpose of the myth arc. Yeah. And this is, this is the reason why we're doing these shows to see if there's a definitive directorial contribution. And this one, I had a little difficult, some difficulty with this one. The, Yeah, and I I think, I wonder if part of that is because of the the behind-the-scenes stuff. Yeah, possibly. Not not so much on how it affected this episode to me, but how this entire meaning and point doesn't really seem to be relevant for much of season seven. Yeah, it's the the overarching story. And it's like there's a story that's starting in the first couple of episodes, even including this one. Yeah. And then it just kind of goes on ice for the longest time and doesn't really matter by the end. Well, season eight, this, this aspect, the moral implications of this episode, it comes back in full force in season eight. In season eight. Yeah. yeah. But this is the beginning of that though. This is the beginning, but you are right. We it's start odd. it and then we don't really get no. back to it. And that's why this episode was hard for me. Cause I can definitely see what they were doing. And a part of me kept going back to season eight. Well, this is definitely a part of the, the moral or ethical implications of, of, of monster killing. Do we kill all monsters? Are we in this gray area can yet? Can evil be transformed or can you save it? Yeah. I mean, sure, sure. If you look at what the show was doing up to this point from seasons one to six, and this is the beginning of seven. So let's just say one to six. There's always been that that implication about Sam uh, being a monster himself and whether or not he should be put down. Well, it's it's the story that they do in almost all, you know, TV shows like this, like Dexter. Can the can the bad guy be a good guy? And I think, you know, it's that the story with this one is really hard to... And is there any wiggle room? Yeah, where's the gray area? Yeah. Right? And, and who and, makes the decision and, on that? And, yeah, and then up until season seven, it's always been black or white, right? There has really been no... I'd say until season six. Yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, season I'd, six really introduces this yeah. concept at the end. And but I, but and you I, are right. Very much black yeah. and white. It's black and white. Yeah. You're, you're a monster, you die. If you're, yep. you know, like... And so this, this has that kind of moral implication of like, okay... Maybe there is a gray area. And I think this also goes back to the both characters where Dean was very black or white and Sam has always been kind of in a gray area because Sam has that dark side. And I well, go ahead. And I think that's why this episode, it is weird though, Thomas, like, it, like you guys said, it doesn't really have any implication until season eight. So, and I think had this seen its true end point, or even if you had kind of fast forwarded to season eight, that difference in ideology between the brothers would make a lot more sense by the time we get yeah, to the end of, of season nine yeah. and even 11 and how they kind of heal that relationship. Well, and I but think, here it feels like we started something hard stop. Right. 
a year goes by and then we kind of pick it up it's again. It's like, okay. And, and well, that also has a, that could also have a lot to do with the fact that we lost our showrunner. No, that's what through. I'm saying. Right. I'm yeah. saying that's what caused that. But oh, it's okay, interesting okay. too. Like when you look at the last like 13, 14 and 15, there was, there was no gray area. It was, or there was a gray area. It was like, okay, are you a good person? You're a what good does per- that mean? Yeah, like, okay, you are a good person, but you're a monster. Okay, well, then we're going to let it slide because we trust you, right? And I feel like that's, they went from, like, black or white, gray area with this episode, and then, of course, Dean <laughs> making mm-hmm. that the decision. And then, you know, as we got later in the seasons, it was like, okay, there is a gray area. So yeah, it changed the value It, it did, absolutely. Well, I think it's team free will. You know, you have that choice, right? To be good or bad. It's it's just, it's your choice, right? And that, but that's all, you know, implicit meaning and what we were talking about where it's like right. the symptomatic, a lot more deeper level than what's being said. Because on the surface level of this episode, it really is an episode about Sam Winchester. Yep. It's referential meaning quickly works with what we know of Sam, what we know of his prior relationship it's designed to flesh out his backstory a little bit more and some of the childhood experiences he's had in a way that lets us look inward. It's not Sam and his relationship to Dean or his relationship to his dad. That's at the focal point, but it's Sam and his relationship to somebody else. That person particularly being a monster. And this episode is very close to the previous season when Sam was soulless and did some pretty fucking unethical things and awesome things and amazing things with those abs. He can't he go did. wrong. Mm. They were sinful. He slayed some people with those abs. Oh, that he prostitute. Wa- he, yeah. He, he dropped, wa- <laughs> he washed some shirts on those too. I'm sure. The panties. Yeah. <laughs> shirts. Oh, fuck shirts. Like some panties. Nobody's wearing shirts over there. Oh, hey, give me your panties. Why? I'm going to wash them for you. <laughs> I'm going to wash them on my abs. I'm going to try that. But first I got to get abs. Well, you got to get abs. Yeah. Then you can. Yeah. And then I got to find the woman that's willing to give right, me your to panties. Give you your panties. Cause yeah. she's right. like, you some of those weirdos that buys panties and vending machines. Yeah. So there's a yeah. lots of steps I have to yeah, get back to work a, through. This is a, uh, it's a work in progress. Yeah. It's a season by season kind of thing. You know, <laughs> season one, like that, it'll take six seasons. Season two, uh, find girl that wants to give panties. Season three, wash panties on abs. Season four, am I going to be a part of this? Because I thought I was talking about me. I wanted to wash the panties. Yeah, this is. It's, I'm the director okay. of your okay. of your Perfect. seasons. My yeah. life, my yeah. life. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, that's. I'd watch that. Season four gets man's panties. Uh-huh. Season five. I'm going to cancel. That was, I'm gonna, <laughs> that was a big <laughs> twist. Coming. I'm going to cancel this show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So. Um, so he did a lot of unethical things previously before that he was the vessel for Lucifer and he's responsible for letting Lucifer out of the cage. There's a lot of red marks or black marks against his record at this time in the last couple of years had to do some terrible things and was even killed for it by other hunters Mm -hmm. by various other groups repeatedly attempted to judgment day all of this stuff about him that was kind of originally intended to be kind of bookended with his self-sacrifice by jumping into the cage now is undone and now after the entire eve castiel betrayal leviathans are now free we doesn't feel like it in the very beginning of this episode but we do have a bit of a breather several weeks have gone by and now we're just kind of stuck with sam and his inner demons literally being lucifer at this time and wondering what he's doing, what is real, and not sure where he stands in the world. And knowing he's responsible for a lot of the terrible things that have transpired recently. And so 
on paper, he was a lot like his childhood friend, Amy Pond, the, the Kitsune. As they connect pretty easily, they have a similar backstory. They have similar childhood experiences growing up. I've seen the ball of twine twice or three times and both are not impressed by it. Both feel like freaks in their own world, which is actually true in both cases. Yeah. And so it allows us to make that parallel. It allows us to see that, yes, there is a referential meaning. The intent between Sam and his inward struggle, being a monster, not sharing no, not wanting to follow in his father's footsteps, wanting to set out on his own life, feeling like he's controlled by external forces and forced to do things they don't want to do. Amy has the exact same, if different, flavor situation. So there we have the referential and the explicit in which look at these two. They are both monsters. They are the same. They have similar situations going on. Now, beyond that, a deeper meaning, the implicit meaning, we have more, a little bit more to interpret. And taking a look at the directing of the episode, we probably say that it's about. Okay, so how do we, first of all, let me say how we get to this point. Ultimately, how do you dis- discern something like the implicit meaning and say, what is it all about? Well, honestly, this is, while this is a little bit complicated, it's also a great example of how to figure this out. What is the ultimate conflict in this episode? Because it's truthfully not Amy versus Sam. Mm-mm. It's not monster versus hunter. Well, I mean, maybe a little bit at the end. But in truth, the biggest conflict in this is a difference between Sam and Dean. Yeah, competing ideologies. A competing ideology. One of them who looks at a world that is very much black and white. There is good and there is evil. There's the dutiful son and there is the betrayer. There is monsters and there are humans, period. And that is it. And monster hunting encapsulates that ideology very much so. If you're a monster, you die. That is his approach, and it is not one up for debate. And I agree, Ryan. It probably isn't it. Wow, maybe until Jack shows up that he re- that Dean really himself really starts to recon. Maybe Amara. Amara. Season eight with Benny. Benny. I bet. Oh, fuck. Yeah. See, that, see, this connection is better when you remove most of season seven, sadly. In fact, I believe Sam brings up this episode. He, he does. brings up Amy. He does. Remember when right. you killed my friend. Yeah. yeah. Why she are you hot. trusting Benny now? How can you kill a hottie? Are you fucking Benny? Why, I was trying to get with Amy, you know. He was trying to, you know, he wanted her to suck on his brain. Oh. He wanted to give her, he wanted her to give him some brain. <laughs> he is attractive. Jewel she stays. is. Yeah. yeah. She's cute. But you're right, Mike, that Benny is the first one that really kind of changed his, that uh, uh, broke down that wall, if you will. For Dean. Who knows when what, he was abroad. Who knows what and he happened met this in weird purgatory. foreigner with a flat cap. Hey, look, what happens in purgatory stays in purgatory. You're going to say that. Yeah, of course. It's like Las Vegas. He showed purgatory. him whole new worlds. That was the he had worst scene. I, I wasn't actually trying to do an accent. It was just a weird voice. No, I can't do accents very well. Ryan is just trying to get even with all of the you. horrible rev- uh, like Let's, accents. You can probably done. do Southern, though, really I'm well. I'll show you a whole new world, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to show you where I'm going to get in nice and deep. Like. Now, get on, now get on my magic carpet. It was, <laughs> magic in the, 
It was in the woods, you know. That uh, screams deliverance. If you don't know, that's my dick. <laughs> that's my dick. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, on the other side of things, we have Sam, who obviously, due to his very nature, since season one, and explicitly stated in season two, he has always been somebody who doesn't fit the mold and looks at things in various shades of gray, 50 to be exact, and believes that it's possible. I just got it. Sorry, that took me a second. Wow, really? I thought that was one of the low effort ones. Uh, so bad. He believes that it's possible to be a monster and still be a good person who can live a normal life. And I think that ideology is born from his desire to want to be good and not believe yeah. that he is this demon evil. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And he's been told he's at his face been told since season two, you're a monster. You're going to have to be put down. This is how it's going to go for you. No matter how much good you think you do in this world you're evil and therefore don't deserve a chance he's constantly fighting against that belief yeah it's very much a part of his characterization because i mean every season when he finds himself i don't want to say attracted but drawn to the reason he's always banging the monsters he has to believe that there is some good in some of these Monsters, yeah, because there is. When gives... he sticks his dick in them, <laughs> oh, so they're just they are clearly good at that. <laughs> so point. they're just good for sex. Yeah, like he puts it when his wiener goes in. That's the good. That's the good. That's the good part that inside good dick. them. Yeah, he gives them that good. Good. <laughs> What's the monster virgin uh, ver- virgin version of misogyny? Uh, Humanology. Monster. Monsterology. Monst- Monstology. Monst- sodomy. <laughs> what are we talking no, about? It's not definitely not sodomy. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> No, but so the main point of how to tell what is the implicit meaning in this episode is where is the main conflict is between Dean and Sam's different opposing views on how not only to deal with monsters, but kind of how to live life and where good and evil lie and whether or not there's any wiggle room. So how do you bring this to life when you read this script? And if you're the director yeah, the cinematographer will have an idea of how to light things and frame things and tell that story visually, but you still have to add a lot to that. And more importantly, your job is working with the actors to really bring that to life. So how do you put this on display through your directing? And first, I just want to say, if a capable di- see everything we just talked about for 20 minutes, that's pretty much from the script aspect. Yeah. However... How were we able to derive that meaning unless it was visually there? A capable director has to be able to do it. So the fact that we're even able to even have discussion and derive this type of meaning means that Jensen did his job as a director. We don't know about the signature style quite yet, but he did do his job correctly because that meaning was brought out. Right. We weren't confused. It's one thing to look at a script. It's another thing to put it into actual visual. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you read a script, there's not a lot there for all of what you're actually right. seeing. There's a lot of white on a page. Yeah. So a script That's doesn't racist. have. <laughs> <laughs> you set me up. Paper's Alex. racist oh, now. There's, if there's black, that means that you're just, you know, a Can't lot of censorship. The FBI got <laughs> a hold of that it's script. All, redacted. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Good luck. Here's your redacted script. 
That'd be funny. I heard that's how dad writes. <laughs> you guys don't understand it. This is the classifier. Is that where all the pl- is that where all the plot went? I redacted yeah. because it looked like Oreos. It- <laughs> the plot's classified. What's <laughs> <laughs> <The plot's> classified? <laughs> you won't understand it to the season finale. Jesus. <laughs> it's fucking stupid, but so good. Uh, what so. if that was true? What if- <laughs> What if that was? What, what if what if uh, Osric got his got his uh, script and it was all redacted? And he's like, <laughs> guess what? You get to play a version. Uh, he thought it was redacted because of classified, uh, but what Jensen was doing was just this is shit. This is shit. This is shit. He wasn't white outing. He's black outing. Yeah, just like Mark Shepard said in the in the inside of you. Yeah. Uh, a podcast. Everything they think is fucking hilarious. He's got to make work. Yeah, he oh. thought people were. He thought it was classified, but it was just the the actors Bad. are like, "What the fuck is <laughs> marking shit out?" Black Sharpie. Just, hey, oh. hey, hey. Yeah. Unfortunately, I, I don't. Unfortunately, I don't have clearance for this. I thought I, I wrote a better. <laughs> I thought I wrote more, but apparently, I only wrote seven words. Oh god. oh god dude that's so stupid i'm just thinking about like some of the episodes i'm like yeah that checks out I mean, yeah absolutely yeah. <laughs> makes sense the more you think about it the more it makes sense oh, i think fuck. the greatest holy man was definitely redacted. the most holy man was redacted <laughs> i wish it was redacted from my memory <laughs> I, fuck. why was that the one in which you like okay time out time we're out. getting way no, off topic yeah, we're not live this is what happens dad time is out. the biggest Distractor of our show. Oh, that too. There was like multiple us. items they had to get, and Castiel said, "I got one from a a jinn out in the Middle East. He just handed <laughs> to me. I think I'm a god now, or their king now. Why didn't we see that one instead of watching some fuckhead wannabe FBI is, crime episode? This one still. Oh hurts my god, Thomas. dude! Thomas it does. Shows, no, man, it hurts me too. It we, does. We, we talk we watch, about it. If those were the ones that you wrote down, there's a crime episode that's terrible. There's a jinn god in the Middle East. Immediately, yeah. of those two, and yet the network was just crossing it out. All of it. It, it was, was redacted. redacted. <laughs> it was redacted. I feel like we need to make a shirt, supernatural crosses, and have shit redacted out on it. Just, it's just like okay. Here's soup. the shirt. Here's the shirt. Exterior, <laughs> parking lot night. Redacted lines, and then it's like by Andrew Dab. Oh shit. Oh man, uh, I love how like, you know what? I'm not even gonna mention. No, let's get back it, on track. Matter. Let's get back doesn't on track. Matter. So, fantastic. Uh, how how do you bring some of this stuff to light on the screen when the page is either redacted or mostly white? <laughs> Look at Ryan did to us. It was actually Ryan. That was like a solid bit. five minutes we lost there. Yeah, whatever. We're recording. It's not a big deal. We're not so. Live. There's several things. One, I'd say the most obvious one with this was the blocking between the actors. There's a lot of intimate scenes. There's a lot of really close conversations between Sam and Amy, Dean and Amy. There's Dean and Bobby. The way they move around, Sam's distant in the room and in the shot and in the space. A lot of that is how you place our characters to where they are in relationship to one another and also where they are beyond just the physical space. 
That's one. That's probably the most obvious. Additionally, you have architecture, the location scouting, and how some of the camera work is done. I mean, I think back to the drug deal victim guy, the, the asshole dude. Oh, yeah. It's this seedy underbridge troll <laughs> area. And the intimacy is even in the camera work when we're watching this through the fence. It's right up against the screen. There's that contrasted with like this cold, dark exterior, clearly not safe place is where a bad guy dies. And you compare that to Amy's house. It's a very different environment. It shows us where evil actually lives versus where perceived evil is and actually is not there. The, so that's another one. Um, and that also is a great way of using the maze on scene to humanize purposely humanize your monster, Amy, in this case, she's not compared to like season one where the skinwalker lives literally yeah. in the sewer right. or the clown is just like this fucked up demon looking thing with a knife and various other countless examples. This is somebody who, as she said, goes to PTA meetings, goes to school is is a boring suburban mom it's the classic serial killer living right next door scenario where people say well he was such a nice man and then but he has 37 bodies right but i'm saying like it's that same mentality of like he was such a nice man but has 37 bodies in the fucking crawl space like it's it's a the it's that kind of age old thing setting right where the the worst person could be living right next door and you'd have no idea yeah she's not the person you think has pieces of brain in the fridge right exactly <laughs> and it's got that very homey domestic house vibe something that audiences were accustomed to at that time yeah, you just and now it's brain, the monster it the toaster, you know? it's the monster that lives there not the hunters not other people yep. but this domestic setting it needed to be sold that way because if she was living under a bridge, a, a bridge like a troll then the whole parallel doesn't work to Sam and Dean wouldn't work. You needed to have that domestic setting so we can find um, a show. I should say the directing and the writing needed to find that aspect that the audience can be sympathetic with, which we're not going to be sympathetic to some monster living under a bridge. She has to be uh, domestic. She has to be just like us so that we mm. understand relatable and human. Right. If if Dean at the end of the episode uh, stabbed a regular monster, we wouldn't care. This was different. It needed to be someone human like by humanizing her is why this episode worked. It's, it's an interesting parallel because the end of the episode has. The humanized monster dying at the hands of the hunter, where in the beginning of the episode, it was the human with no tools and resources being, quote, threatened to being killed by a man of medicine. There's that little where they started versus where it ends. Yeah. He's fleeing for his life and then take someone else's who's begging for theirs in the same episode. And some of that implicit meaning that we've been talking about, it, it wouldn't have worked as well when we're talking about the mm -hmm. competing ideologies if we didn't do these, if the directing as well as the writing didn't actually come up with these ideas, because, you know, the this aspect helped with those parallels because Dean justifies his actions in order to protect Sam. And I'm going to I, I let's monster. just say a monster, uh, just like Amy was doing with her kid. There literally is no difference. No, no difference. 
And that's kind of an interesting point. Well, I'll say this is an interesting point as well. So much of the intent when it comes to the more personal is about establishing a baseline that places Sam and Dean essentially in the same sandbox as the monsters. They're one thing that season six and seven do a good job of, especially in hindsight is bringing humanity to monsters, making it a much grayer, less black and white world. And it's no longer demons are clearly evil. No question. Angels are quote good, but totally not really heaven versus hell black and white binary system. Now it's, we're all here in the trenches, in the mud, fighting for survival in our own unique ways. Well, what's good at what's cool about that is that if you, if you take anything that you do and you, you put yourself in this world or whatever it is, the more you become accustomed to it, the more you can justify, you can justify doing things differently because now you've become more accustomed to it. And I think that's what's the beauty of supernatural is that the more that the boys, you know, the brothers experience things, the more that these, these black and white situations become more gray because Mm -hmm. they experience more stuff in the world of supernatural. And I think we see that throughout the 15 years. And I think it's, uh, it's, it's pretty awesome just to see that kind of, um, kind of, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but essentially them that just, over, yeah, that arc of them, you know, I, I always use the demons, you know, first two seasons, demons were the craziest thing you could possibly see. And then now season 15, it was like, whatever. Like <laughs> I just, I, I love that arc of them as they, they thrust themselves in the world of supernatural and, and that they become world, more entrenched be, in it. Right. And it, things become less black and white and become more gray. Yeah. And uh, some of this, most of this was more or less about the main myth arc. And this is again, when you kind of take out most of season seven and just staple it to eight, it's more clear as to where things were going that contradicting ideologies between Sam and Dean and a lot more, it makes a lot more sense for Dean's ultimate trajectory into seasons nine and 10 Mm -hmm. in season seven. Dean kills a good person slash mom because they're a monster and he knows they'll kill again. And this is just what has to be done. He justifies it and he's incredibly hypocritical because just a few short years later, he himself would be a demon. Yeah. And we saw that was what we talked hours about with the mark of Cain, him corrupt, being corrupted, falling into evil and all these other things. This is the seed of that concept that the weird pause in the behind the scenes situation with the losing our showrunner makes a little muddied to see. But when you look back at this 10,000 foot view, it's a lot more clear as to how things were going. And there's, there's this, there's a chaos in this contradiction with Dean He is a killer. He can justify it all he wants, but he broke into someone's house, killed a woman, and then told the kid, hey, like straight out of Kill Bill, you're welcome to try when you get older. I'll see you in a few years sort of thing. That's very, very dark. Yeah. All voluntary. That's the other thing. None of that was stuff he had to do. It's not that Amy transformed, attacked, 
showed her true colors. It was on his own. He chose to do all those things. And that's very, very different than what Sam did. He can't help what he is. He, by his very nature, is a freak and or monster. And yet he theoretically rises above that hindrance, that birthplace, that two and seven shitty hand that he was dealt in order to do the right thing, be a better person and give a good person a chance who as you know, was as shown killed terrible people, a drug dealer and others when needed to, because her son was sick and otherwise had found a decent way to live in the world that she found herself in. And that's, that's, Makes season eight all the more painful, too. Well, this episode is just extremely deep when you really break it down, and it never has gotten enough credit. Yes, it was considered an episode that was very well um, put together. It was well-received, but it's also a forgotten episode amongst is, oh yeah, the supernatural uh, fandom. And when you really start to look at what Dean was able, or I should say Jensen was able to bring out for Dean, I mean, you have this entire thing that's pretty much designed to show, as you mentioned, this, this contradiction, this inner struggle for Dean, you know, Dean hides his killer instinct yeah. within the righteous, the, the justified killing. This, I would say, is definitely a part of the symptomatic meaning, which absorbs the other meanings. It incorporates a film story as well as what it seems to be trying to say. It's a level of meaning that one finds that is it's it typically ideological as it pertains to social values. So you're you're now delving into moral implications, mm -hmm. justified killing, self-righteousness, hypocrisy. And I know people might be getting mad that I'm throwing all these unflattering words at Dean, but this that it's absolutely true. It, Dean and uh, he, Sam are both hypocritical when yeah, it comes to each yeah. other. That's he, their downfall. Yeah. Dean makes a decision in this episode purely based off selfishness and a purely and based fear. on his in his fear of black and white and monsters are bad and they have to die and he makes this decision without telling sam because he knows the implications of what he knows it's wrong he knows it's wrong in, in in but i'm protecting you he uses the i'm protecting my brother as the excuse to kill someone yeah and 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 it that's where this episode hits home the most mm -hmm. is that he makes a decision purely based on selfishness and his pure, his, his fear and what his, you know, his complex of a, you know, I have to do this for the, for the right reasons, it's right? Very, the greater good. It's very interesting that he attacks and blames someone for something he's fearful of, but in truth, it's what he himself is doing you, it's like the it's like the senators who are homophobic and try and get ban all that stuff and they're caught and sucking they off in the bathroom wow, <laughs> that was very like that was very aggressive that was very aggressive but it's but it's know, the same thing they they hate he, something did a did you get to suck did, someone did off did a or? religious no. man suck you off or something no. like without <laughs> you wanting him to yeah, or like did he say that god was in your penis and he had to suck god out <laughs> oh or? wow it wasn't very religious growing up Wonder why? No, you got a demon inside you, boy. <laughs> boy, you got a demon. It's only right one way to get the that, demon out. It's right only one way to penis. exercise. I'm gonna exercise it with my mouth. <laughs> Come here, Jesus. That's disgusting. No, but it's that idea of people <laughs> attack and try to get rid of something they hate, but at the same time, it's also like this inner self-loathing. Yeah, Dean 
when he says he knows that she, he kills her and justifies it by saying he knows that she will kill again. This, part's this so could telling. mean a couple of different things, including him talking about himself. As we later see in the future seasons with the Mark of Cain and the road he goes down to become a demon and all the stuff he does to justify every decision he makes. Also season two stuff with Gordon Walker when he said, yep. this is who you are, Dean. What you're going to become. Yeah. So, so there's that level. And there's also a, a more fearful side of he's afraid of what sam might still become yeah the threat has kind of passed but when he talks to bobby he knows the other shoe he says the other shoe is going to drop it's sam there's always another shoe he's waiting for something terrible to happen and so he's trying to remove all signs of things that make that question his reality that make him second guess whether or not sam's right mentally is he okay to do hunting he can't be saving monsters because that's what monsters would do. And I can't have anything like that threatening my sense of who my brother is. See, and I also feel like it could be considered a balancing of the scales. And that's why when you start digging into also this you episode, get into that, yeah. because Supernatural isn't always a show where you dig into the balancing of scales and the finer details of morality and ethics. And that's why an episode like this always has a, it's, it's always stood out to me because they are definitely delving into those questions. They are posing the ethical questions when Dean kills this woman. Yes. You could, you could say he's talking about himself. You could say he's talking about Sam when yep. he says, I know you'll do these things again, but he could also be simply doing course correction, possibly yeah. a balancing of the scales because he has allowed Sam to run free. When possibly maybe deep down, he knows that maybe he might've, should have been killed because is he, Sam a greater threat? So maybe he's balancing the scales by doing this. It justifies in Keeping his Sam mind, around. allowing Sam to run around. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think Jensen really, really understood that. Absolutely. As he directed this episode and it's what makes this scene at the end. So powerful is that there's an obvious greater understanding yeah. of these characters. Yeah. And that's, so vital for a director. And it's in, in the way he does the scene in which Dean kills Amy is very deliberate and very intentional. The camera blocking as well as Jensen and uh, what's her last name again? Who? The the actress. What's her name? States. Is that how you say it? Jewel State. Jewel, Jewel States. States. Uh, they're, they're playing off of one another. Very much works to sell Dean's reluctancy to betray Sam and take the life of a person he's a saved in his own way or, or pardoned and forgiven. She's very much like them, but, in a lot of say, but she's also is Sam in some ways. And I think that's where you're right. The balancing of the scales comes to play. They're so similar. If he kills her, maybe he can keep Sam around. Yeah. He's, he's doing all of this stuff deliberately so that he can keep Sam and his way of life going in some ways. And it's very, he's very delicate with her body. He doesn't just as later seasons brutally behead her, decapitate, stab, whatever the hell that he would do with more and more aggressive nature. As we move down season nine and season 10, mostly nine. There was, was definitely an, an intimate flair to the scene mm -hmm. because it wasn't, it wasn't some murderous rage. Correct. It, 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 there was a reluctance. Some, there was it's not that he there. wanted to. Yeah. And the fact that 
And the fact that Jensen chose as a director to have himself be very delicate with the kill, it, it seemed painless. It was a surprise to her. He didn't, mm-hmm. you know, taunt her. There wasn't the fear. He just did it. He just did it. And it was, then a, he it held was a count her. to three and stab her on two. Yeah. And that to me as a director is what sold this entire episode for me. Well, it's that moment is what stands out. It's it's a lot more, it's a lot more, like I, like I said, more reluctancy to do this. He knows he has, well, in his head, he has to do this. And it's the intimacy of, you know, uh, again, he chose to stab her, not shoot her. Right. It, yeah. And, and, and that's, and again, stabbing someone is very intimate to begin with because you have to be up close and personal. And like you said, he, he, there's a, uh, an error of respect there laying her body down instead of just, and just letting her drop. How many know? times have we seen him ever delicately, never. Re- uh, delicately put down someone he just killed? I know. I wish he would delicately hold me like that. I, I never let go. No, never. Hold me. Hold me. Never let go. Well, and I, I think it's also worth noting. He says the other shoe will drop. Maybe not, maybe in a year, maybe in 10, but it always does. He uses the same phrase about Sam. It's, it's mm-hmm. more of that. I think you're right, Mike, that balancing of the scales and have, it wasn't just even cause this final scene is what I always remember about this episode. The other bits, not so much, but this scene between Dean and Amy sticks in my mind because it's a very intimate moment. It's a very well done moment and it's an earned one. This is an example of what good directing and strong writing is all about working for that payoff, not just here's a monster stab step that. And then we're like, well, I guess that really wasn't a thread. This is building up and making us think we're going somewhere else. And this is the last couple minutes of the episode. And it really does have all that poignancy and weight saved for this moment there's no redacting here now can i I just say that i i I, there was a part of this scene that made me giggle and it was the fact that it when she comes through the door it's clearly light outside right it is clearly daytime when dean reveals himself he turns the light on and it just made me laugh because there was plenty of room in the in the in, like light in the room, and it was light outside. I think this scene would have had a little bit like that scene of him like revealing himself. Maybe would have looked a little bit better if it were dark, like darker. Yeah. And I think the scene would have had a little bit more intimacy of that kill being a little bit dark. It just made me laugh because I'm like, well, it's light outside. Why did he turn the light on? Like. I don't know why that made me laugh. He's all surprise, bitch. Surprise, all, motherfucker. I saw you. I saw you when I walked in. <laughs> it's light outside. What are you doing? Did you think you were being sneaky? Yeah, I just laughed. I don't know why. Maybe nitpicky of me, but I just thought it was funny. Maybe he was like uh, the guy from Guardians of the Galaxy. And he thought oh, he just, just, yeah. just sit, if he just stood there silently. Drax, yeah, I have very, you cannot <laughs> see me. Okay. <laughs> Sure, I don't see you right there, guy. Maybe like, that's what it was about. Oh yeah, maybe he thought that he was Kitsune. So still. Well, maybe he thought that Kitsune's vision is based off movement, like the T Rex. Yeah, he was like, I'm just gonna sit still here, mm-hmm. and she can't see me. All right. So outside of the moment with Amy and Dean, let, let's move to some of the other action that's happening. We also have the opening sequence, and. I think, honestly, this might have been one of my favorite bits of the episode. Mm -hmm. The opening sequence of the hospital scene is so great. Dean's escape with the help of Bobby of the the hotel, the hospital that's been overrun by a Leviathan. 
we've got great cutting between the different actions that is happening. We have the urgentness, the, the, we're very much in Dean's sense and in his world. He's delirious. His vision's blurred, painful action. We're awake. We have questions. Nobody's answering it. God damn it. People. We can't see all of our surroundings. We can't completely. see. We don't know where we are. We know we're somewhere bad, but we don't know where Sam is. We don't know where Bobby is. It's all bad. And the way this entire bit is blocked out and paced out feels very, very good. The The intensity of that opening scene really does set the stage. And it's a very well-crafted bit of suspense. I mean, I know the show and I've seen the episode. And I know what happens. And when Bobby's looking in the rear view mirror yeah. or the side mirror, and he's like, come on, Dean. I'm like, oh, fuck. How there's urgency. There, there's, there's a suspense. sense of, of stress. They're coming at the car. Bobby's not ready. Dean's not there. They're going to get caught. No. And this is all in three minutes. Yeah. All of this urgency and intensity, the suspense, it's all in three minutes. The camera is is tight on the, Dean as he's delirious. His vision sways as he sways. Everyone's an enemy. We don't know who his vision and the camera matches that as he's moving through the hospital. The, the limiting his movement and the mobility. The one shot I was talking about earlier was the camera on the gurney. That's basic. a great it, shot. So like, I, because it reminded me very much of that intimate, like, you're right there with the character, right? Yeah. That shot of like, you know, when they do the ghost stories and the ghost shows and they put the camera right in front of the person mm -hmm. and they have it on them. So you get the movement and the jarringness of what he's doing. Like that shot. It's claustrophobic. It is. And it's, it, but it gives you the, the sense of you're there with the character or you're laying on the gurney as he pushes mm -hmm. it. And it's like this, this, this visceral kind of right there in the moment shot. Well, because it's not a steady camera. It's shaky. Right. There's it's, no, yeah. it's bouncing with the movement of the gurney it feels real like right. you're really on there in that moment with them like you yourself are running down the hallway your vision bouncing and and the edges blurring. it's very intense and it has that fight or flight feeling brought to life and i and i don't know if if it, again i'd have to go back and watch them but this might be one of those first times they use that kind of shot and jensen just it just throws it in and, uh, and he never uses it again Okay, that's what I was going to say, because yeah. you mentioned that at the top of the show, and I was hoping you were talking about that, because I agree that that's a good move. Not only do I like the shot, but I like that he didn't use it again. Didn't use it again. Because mm -hmm. the biggest need problem to. with directors need to do it. is they overuse style. Yeah. They overuse Zach things Snyder. when they don't need it. Only use it when <laughs> you need it. Yeah. That's more of an aesthetic. I know, but I, you know. Make a dick. Fuck you. <laughs> What was I saying? Uh, no, yeah, so, so I do agree time. with you that the the shot on the gurney was only used once, and it was more effective. If it was used more, if he did it more than once, it would have been weird. It would have well, taken away. I yeah. like how he used because he he does a good job of using the camera as an audience insert surrogate and using its full abilities. Making you feel like you're there. It's using its yeah. full abilities to make it feel more like a person. Shallow focus, creating that claustrophobic blurry on the edges environment you can't quite see everything you don't know where the enemy's coming from mm -hmm. running down the hallway it's just it very much fits that feeling and i think that's probably one of the best things that a director can do on a tv show it's been written for you there's a lot of set design and production design and camera choices that have already been made but you have the actors and you have the ability to make us feel a certain way and that's where 
that really still can shine yeah. even on a TV show. Yeah, that, that, I just that that shot for some reason stood out to me when I was watching it because I just I don't remember them ever doing like a first person kind of straight up in the like just in the baby like, episode. Yeah, and, and and that comes after this, mm -hmm. so it was really really cool. And and I like you said, Mike, I think if he would have used it, it just would have felt weird and like it, like maybe over just overdone. It was yeah. a smart move to it just was, do it the one was time. It like a five second shot. Not yeah, even. maybe. Unfortunately, directors that have styles sometimes become a little self-indulgent. <laughs> I mean, I love Quentin Tarantino, but even he is guilty of becoming self-indulgent at times. Oh, Zack Snyder, self-indulgent. Michael Bay, self-indulgent. And I'm, I'm picking auteurs, people who have signature styles. Um, George Lucas, I don't think he's... I, I wouldn't call himself while. indulgent, but he does have a crazy ass like I, maybe for in his visual special effects, effects. He's a little self indulgent. Yeah. Avatar or James Cameron is self indulgent yes, in every much. movie he does. Yeah, J.J. Abrams was making a joke. He he was early on self indulgent until people mocked him so yeah. much. He, yeah, he got kind of ripped for it. Yeah. So at the end of this, though, is I, in my opinion, I don't feel like we can definitively state that Jensen has truly has a definitive style yet. Now we could probably safely speculate at the end of our discussions here, that action will definitely be one of those definitive yeah, roles. For sure. It's something we talked about during season 15. And of course, we talked about during our last discussion with these Jensen directing episodes, he has a knack for action. Absolutely. And so far, I feel like that is definitely the, the, the if we had to choose a singular definitive style, I could say confidently that would probably be it. But also when you look at the amount of meaning that he that he derived from that script and brought to the forefront look at the discussion we just had because of his directing and yeah. i don't want to take away from the writing dab and daniel laughlin did a good job but if you don't have the right director i know those did are we just say something good about dab well I, it's probably daniel laughlin <laughs> <laughs> dabs was all redacted yeah, laughlin yeah. actually mm -hmm. wrote shit yeah. he redacted all of dab stuff <laughs> oh jesus <laughs> But Jensen did a good job bringing those intimate moments yeah. and they are not the usual supernatural intimate moments that we get between Sam and Dean. These were a, a callous intimacy almost. Yeah. So we'll see. I don't feel like we can definitively stay, say, no, yet, I don't think so. I mean, I, I would say action is definitely perhaps the only one. And it's weird because in this one, I'd say the best action sequence is the opening. And it's not a fist fight yeah. action sequence because the fight between Sam and the two bullies is, is yeah, that, is nothing to write home about No, But by the time he does atomic monsters, it's the best part of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> like, he, he knows how to bring that urgency. Yeah. And I think the opening scene with the, especially with the shaky cam on the gurney is him really knowing how to sell a feeling. I mean, that sweeping dolly shot that goes past Dean when he's on his crutches in the hallway. Yeah. It just gives this feeling that something is coming at him. He doesn't quite know what it is. There's a lot of cool things going on from the directing side in this. Yeah. Um, so as a, 
again, this isn't a review necessarily. So I guess that's the end of our discussion. Yeah, but, we'll save any points for the actual episode because we didn't get into that. But yeah, but yeah I think it's too early for a f definitive style. Yeah, we can't really answer But that I think one. this is where we start to see some of the seeds between the action, focus on intimate moments between characters. We'll then see blossom into something down the road. Because what we had for our takeaways from style during our first discussion, part one... Uh, was there was paternal, familial, stylistic, which was visceral action, quick cuts on action to add a layer of humor, uh, below the surface humor. It was subtle. And then thematic, it, we questioned or posed the question overextending oneself because of the story um, for Bobby. And the only similarities, I would say, would be stylistic, the visceral action, yeah. the quick cuts on action. I would only even say the visceral action because while he yeah. still has the quick cuts here, it's like two or three. Yeah, the parts that really lot. sell mm -hmm. the visceral feeling in the, of that is the opening bit. And those aren't quick yeah. cuts. I think he moves away from that as time goes on. Yeah, quick cuts get a, it's a bad rap. And I think, ugh, I hate to say rightfully so, but there are times when quick cuts are just used or more than just style many times is used to hide your inadequacies yeah. as a director. Ugh, I can't. So is that what I do? A believable bed? fight scene. I quick cut, quick cut, yeah. quick thrust. And yeah. then it must've been good. There was 87 thrusts. Yeah. I got you 87 times. <laughs> I usually just fade out. <laughs> exponential fade. All right. <laughs> Jeez. Exponential fade. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the next time we talk about Jensen's directing, it is going to be the heartache episode. Uh, which season was that? I'm trying to remember here. I think that's in season eight. eight. right? Yeah, in season eight. So a whole year will have gone by. We'll have a new showrunner at that time, and we'll see if which styles and elements prevail and if we start to be able to tell a little bit more of what makes Jensen a unique director. So... Thank you all for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Please share it. Please leave us reviews on iTunes. Let other Supernatural fans that you're aware of know about our show. Thank you, and we'll see you all next time. You little maggot. You are no longer a part of this story. Hey, ass butt.